You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Awesome. Hey, I, like Jody said, I have the opportunity to land this series. Um, We are in a Trinity series. We are going through God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. Um, So this week we are going to be talking about... um, just another aspect of, of who God the Father is. Amen? So in the past couple of weeks, we talked about God as Yahweh, God as creator, uh, a God that loves. And today we will unpack um, the fact that our Heavenly Father is a God that sees us. So if you can, turn to your neighbor and say that God sees you. Let your neighbor know that God sees you. <laughs> God sees you. God sees you. All right. As um as as a father, I have three small children, Nijah, Kyrie, and Maddie. Um, one of my highlights of the morning is being able to take them to school. Um, I have the opportunity, not every single day, but I have the opportunity to be present in taking them to school, which I find um, a lot of joy in. Um, if you know, my, my son hasn't had the easiest transition in school, so um, it's, it's, it brings me joy to be able to be the one that takes him to school and lets him know that he can do it and that he got it, right? Um, so with our girls, um, it's a really easy drop-off. We're able to take them right to the classroom, give them a hug, give them a kiss, and, and send them on their way. But with my son, it's a little different because of COVID and because of just the kind of school that it is. Um, We got to drop them off. We got to drop him off like at this gate area. And then we drop him off at the gate area. And then he has to kind of walk across the playground and then into the building and into the school. So it's a little difficult. It's a little different. Um, but we've developed some, a little thing that we've started doing over the past couple of months. Um, I'm able to take him up to the check-in to the gate, send him on his way, and then I'm able to take a step back and then watch him just walk to the classroom. Um, So organically, this little thing started where he'll take a few steps and then he'll look back to see if I'm still there. And when we lock eyes and when we see each other, he'll give me a little wave and then I'll give him a little wave and then he'll get a little excited and he'll start skipping back to class. And then after a few little skips or walks or steps or whatever, he'll take another step back to see if I'm still there. And then we lock eyes again and I give him a little wave and he'll give me a wave back and then he continues on. And right before he gets to the door, he'll look back again and he'll see if I'm still there. We'll lock eyes, I give him a wave, sometimes I'll give him a salute at the last point and then he'll give me a little wave back and then he's back in the classroom. Um, And it's just something that developed. Um, We kind of play a little game to see how many times we can get him to wave back at us. Um, sometimes depending on his mood, it's just one wave. Sometimes it's two, three. I think the most we've ever gotten was four waves on a morning. So it's just something, a little game that we play every morning, but I love doing that stuff because it just lets me tell him in a way that I am present. And even though I'm sending him to class, I'm sending him to school and he's going to be gone from us for quite a long time that I am still here and that I see him, right? I'm present. I want him to know that I see him. I want him to know that even though I may not be able in that, to be in that class, I am with him. Um, we are connected. It's a bit of a reassurance to him. I see you, son. I love you, son. I'm with you, son. I'm right here, son. Right? 
And what would you know that that is exactly the heart that God has for us this morning? That's the heart of God, where he wants to connect with us. He wants to reassure us. He wants to reconnect with his children that he sees you. He sees you, son. I see you, daughter. He wants to remind us that he is Abba. He wants to remind us that he is a good father. He wants to remind us today that he is faithful. He wants to remind us that he is present. Amen. But we often lose sight of those things, right? We lose sight as we live out this journey and as we live out this life. All of us have been there. We're at some point of our lives or, or, or this journey where we come to the place where we say, man, God, where are you in this situation? God, where are you in my life at this moment? We've all been there where we've had these questions or these nights or prayers where we're just thinking, Lord, where do you see me? Are you here? Are you present? In our home groups, we've been talking about valleys and mountaintops. And, and we've just been talking about how, how it feels to walk through the valley. And those mountaintop experiences and, and God is there. And then, but also reminding ourselves that God is with us and present even in the valleys. But when we're trying to, uh, we're talking about how to contend and how to prepare for those valley moments, because we have to remind ourselves that yes, God is there even in the valleys. Amen. But we've been there. God, do you see me? God, do you see this? Do you see this person? Do you see this situation? Do you see this trial? Do you see this circumstance that I'm facing? Have you forgotten me? We've been there. We've all been there. Maybe you feel uh, unseen or overlooked. Maybe you felt yourself feeling abandoned, abandoned by others, ab abandoned by your family. Maybe even today you feel abandoned by God. But no matter who you are, at some point, you have asked yourself, where is God in all of this? Right? We've been there. And there's moments in the Bible where people have felt unseen. There's moments in the Bible and in Scripture where people have felt judged or forgotten by the world around them. But then God steps in. But then Jesus steps in. But then the Holy Spirit steps in. Right? And our story this morning is no different. We're going to talk about three people that we find that finds themselves in a very tough situation. Amen? So if you don't mind, I'm going to read scripture. Hopefully you don't mind that. I'm going to read uh, a whole chapter, and then we're going to break down uh, what we read today. Amen? All right. So now Sarai, Abram's wife, has not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abraham, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant she, and she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. So then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. 
The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. The son of yours will be a wild man, an untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, I have truly seen the one who sees me. So that well was named Beer Lahai Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar, so Hagar gave Abraham a son and Abraham named him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So there's a lot to impact in there, but I just want to pray. Is that okay? So Lord, we just, we come to you, God, with our hearts open. We come today, God, with our, with our ears open to what you want to share and what you want us to discover through this scripture, God. Lord, I pray, God, for if there's anybody in this room who have, has had those thoughts of feeling unseen or unworthy, I pray, God, that today, Lord, you would speak to us. Lord, I pray, God, that you would flow in this room, that you would be in this room, Lord. And I pray, God, that the words out of my mouth would give you glory. Lord, I pray, God, that each and every one of us would be expectant to see you move and for you to just um, unveil, God, what you're saying in the scripture. Be with us today, God. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. So, there, so the backstory about this portion of scripture is we're talking about this man named Abraham, right? We find Abraham and Sarah in the story. At this point, they're called Sarai and Abram. The Lord has yet to change their names. Um, but he has already, Abraham had already received God's promise to give him an heir and descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. And we can read that in Genesis 15, 6. And I will read it quickly. Um, it says, then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your, your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So this happened, this moment happened just a, a, a chapter over. Um, that could be, that's years in, in Bible reading, right? We just read it quickly because we have chapters, but things have been moving on. We find ourselves now in Abraham's 85 years old. The Lord has promised Abraham descendants. He promised him an heir to his throne, a son that he can, a promised son. But yet at this portion of scripture in, in chapter 16, there's still no promised son. There's still no promised son. But how many of us know that if God has promised something, then we can hold on to that promise. If God has said it, then we can hold on to that. We can, we can trust that. We can rely on that. We can grab a hold of that promise. If the Lord has spoke it over our lives, we know it is going to come to pass. Amen? It's a promise to hold on to. But let's be honest. When days and days pass and we don't see God move, or when years and years pass and we don't see that promise come to pass, it gets hard, and it gets tough, and it gets difficult. Amen? Sarai and Abraham find themselves in a season of lack. Yes, God promised abundance. And for Sarai, it was a desire of her heart to have a son, and, but she was in a season of barrenness. 
All Sarai could see was emptiness. Abram is waiting for this promised son. He believed, he's, he's deemed righteous. He knows who God is, but yet time and time is passing and yet there's no son. But they had a promise from God. Amen? So let's go back now, uh, chapter 16. And I'm just going to kind of go through everything that we are reading in this portion of scripture. Genesis 16, chapter 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. Now in this alone, there's a struggle. Because in this, in this portion of scripture, in culture here, women are required to give their husband a son. It's a requirement. It's an expectation. And when it doesn't happen, there's pressure and there's, there's shame and there, there's guilt that is connected with this. See, barrenness means it's not able to produce. Right? Being barren means lacking something. There's something missing, right? Missing from life. Now, in this scripture, we're talking about being able to, to bear a child, but what about our lives? Where, where can we say that there's some barrenness taking place, right? We will all have something in our lives where we're saying, man, something is lacking here. Something feels empty. Something feels missing from my life. What is that that we wrestle with that today? What is that for you? Is it, is it, man, I'm really seeking marriage. I'm waiting for my husband. I'm waiting for my wife. And, and this, nothing is happening here. And nothing is moving. And I've been praying and I've been praying and I've been singing all the songs and I've been reading all the scriptures, but yet nothing has happened yet. Right? What if it's success? Man, I really just want to be successful in my job. I really want this career. I've been going to school for years. And if I only get into this job, then money will come. And then finally, I will be happy. Finally, then I'll have success. Finally, then I'll have purpose. Because whatever's lacking in my life now will be taken care of once I get that job. Right? That could be a lot of those things. Purpose, social status. So what is it in our lives today that we would say, if I only had that one thing, if I only could obtain this one thing, if I could only grab onto this one thing, then I could remove this feeling of barrenness in my life. Barrenness for Abraham and Sarah was quite literal. But for many of us, it's a dream. For many of us, it's a desire or a promise that God has told us um, that will come to pass, but it hasn't yet become a reality. It's the first thing that we think of when we wake up. It's the last thing that's on our hearts before we fall asleep. We've all been there where we're, we're saying yes to the Lord, we love the Lord, we come on Sundays, we come to church, we, we go to home groups, but yet there's still this thing that is missing and we're just saying, God, please just give us this thing, right? We've all been there and, and that's a season of being barren. But this is a great opportunity for the Lord to come through, amen? It's an amazing opportunity. This brings me to the but gods in scripture, those but God moments, right? You know what those are? When there's a situation or there's a storm or there's a, a trial or there's a situation that feels looks bad and it feels overwhelming, right? But you know what? It's a perfect time for God to come through. These but God moments we read about in scripture are the reminder that God is in control. It's a reminder that he is Yahweh. It's a reminder that he is present, that he is there and he is the living God. I love the but gods in scripture. You know what I mean? So it's like, Life can make me feel powerless, but God is more powerful, right? I'm not feeling loved by those around me, but God loves me. The mountains of life look big, but God is bigger. 
It's a reminder that God is there and he is faithful and he is for us and that he sees us. It's important to take note of those moments in our lives and in scripture because that's what reminds us, hey, but God is bigger, but God is going to do something else. So as we read, we are reading with the expectation that it's only a matter of time before God comes through. So Rye and Abraham are feeling this barrenness. They're feeling these issues, this trial, this circumstance, right? But God's going to come through. Amen? But one messy thing that, quite, that happens quite often is when we replace those but God moments with but Steve. Or we replace the but God moments with the but, with the but Jody's. Or but Julian's or but Myra, right? You guys get what I'm saying? Yeah. It happens all the time when we try to take things into our own hands and we insert ourselves and we use our own wisdom. When we make our own way, we have our own plans in certain situations when it feels like, you know what? I know God loves me, but God's kind of being slow right now. I know that God has a plan, but I really wish that that plan would kind of accelerate a little bit faster. And we, it gets messy when we replace the but gods with the but Steve's, and you can insert your own name there. How many times have we been there? You know what? That's a good idea, Steve. That just might work, right? God is good, but he isn't moving fast enough. I know he has a plan, but I really want to see this happen for me, so let me just step in here and let me get it done. Genesis 16.1, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, has not been able to bear children for him. That's the problem. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So while waiting for their promised son to be born to Abraham, his wife steps in and has an idea. They come up with their own plan. I can solve this issue. I got this. I got a servant. Hey, but God promised you a son, but I got a servant. Perhaps you can sleep with her and you can, I can have children through her. So Sarai said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham, Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarah and Abraham made it happen instead of trusting God. They made it happen instead of trusting God's promise, which takes a bad turn. And like many of us have, We've all been there where we trusted the voice of logic. We trusted the voice of reason over the voice of the Lord. We've all been there. Now, to do this, this was common practice. So they weren't breaking any laws. They weren't, they weren't full of sin or anything of that nature. It was completely legal in those days, socially acceptable. If the wife could not have any children, then you can use a servant as a surrogate. It's fine. But just because it's socially acceptable doesn't make it the will of God. Just because it solved the problem doesn't make it a part of God's plan. Just because it works doesn't make it the will of God. And we have to know that as we're in 2022 today, right? Just because it's okay and everyone is doing it, that doesn't make it the will of God for our lives. Amen? So now who is this Hagar? She was just a servant. There's no other, before this, there's no other reference of her at all. She was just a slave. She was Sarah's slave. In the Bible, her name, or, or her, not in the Bible, but definition of her names mean forsaken, flight, a stranger, one that fears. 
All we know about Hagar at this time is that she's an Egyptian slave. She is Sarah's property. She is Sarah's possession. And that is all we need to know. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And I keep saying Sarah and Sarai, they're the same person, I'm sorry. But when Hagar became pregnant, she began to despise Sarah. Now we got to understand that she was a servant. She was a slave. So I don't know that lifestyle or how she was treated. But at this point now, as she's carrying a baby, as she's become pregnant, I'm sure there's some pride that came involved, right? People are finally noticing her. Maybe people are finally checking in on her and helping her and assisting her. And there's been, a, you know, there's a lot more eyes on, on Hagar. She's never received this ever before because she's never had anything to be happy or proud about. But now she has something. She has this baby, right? So she didn't maintain the attitude of a servant. Pride began to set in. It began to surface. She became proud. She became, and, and this, um, this pride irritated Sarah. You know, when, when, when ladies get pregnant and you start showing off the baby bumps and month and month and week and week and posting it on social media, um, she's flaunting it, right? She's the glow, the aura, right? Uh, uh, it, it bothered Sarah. It, was, it made her unhappy. It becomes to irritate her. It's too much. So Sarah becomes upset with Hagar. This plan is not working very well. Sarai gets upset with Abraham, her husband. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. So she begins to say and point fingers. Hey, somebody's responsible for this that I'm feeling, and it's not me, it's you. All of the wrong that I'm experiencing here is all your fault. And I'm not going to have any wife jokes, so... No, not going to get me to death. <laughs> mm -mm. But I will talk about Abraham. Abraham does what any smart husband would do when their wife's upset. And if let me know, husbands, if you've been there, it kind of looks like this. <laughs> right? Your wife is mad. She's upset. Fingers are pointing. It's your fault. This is all you. What are you going to do about this? And it, we just kind of like... Hey, that's your servant. You do whatever you feel is best. That's your slave. Handle her the way, any way you feel you need to do that. Now, that's a bad joke. I get it. It's not the right answer. Abraham, at this moment, neglects his spiritual headship, his leadership of his home. And he just passes the buck and he passes the drama onto Sarai and says, hey, you know what? You just figure it out. That's your possession. That's your property. That's your car. That's your watch. That's your, you know, whatever. You take care of it. Handle it however you want to do it. That's basically his answer. Now we have, now Sarai is, is beefing and there's drama between her and, and Hagar. Obviously the answer is, hey, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Let, let's figure out what's happening here. Let me tell you how I'm feeling. Let me tell, you know, every time you flaunt the baby bump in front of me, it, it kind of bothers me. Like, let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's be reconciled. Let's take this thing to God. But that's not what happens. Genesis 16, 6 says that Sarai treated Hagar so harshly. When she finally ran away, 
other um, uh, por- um, books say uh, that the, the word mistreated. And that word mistreated can actually be translated into beaten. She beats Hagar. She literally beats a pregnant woman. She mistreated this pregnant woman so harshly that she begins to run away. So Hagar runs. And Hagar finds herself pregnant, alone, in the middle of a desert. Beaten, mistreated, used, abused, and forgotten. A piece of property, a possession, a car, a watch, carrying a baby in the middle of a desert. But God... But God shows up. The angel of the Lord found Hagar besides, uh, beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. Shore. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord finds her near a spring in a desert. Now, it's important to know when we read um, the angel of the Lord, we have to know that uh, many scholars believe that that when we hear that, it's a physical um, a physical uh, God. It's, a, it's a, manifest, a manifestation of Yahweh. It's God. It's not an angel like a baby angel in a diaper. It's not like the big crazy angels we read about in Revelation. It's, it's, it's God in the flesh. It's, it's God, right? So... The angel asked, where have you come from and where are you going? And the angel said to her, Hagar, um, her Hagar, Sarai servant, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. And I love when God asks questions because obviously God is all knowing. He knows who Sarai is. That's why he found her in the desert in the, in the spring, right? He knows where she's going. She, he knows where he's come from. But I love the questions because it helps us reveal what's happening in our hearts. When, when we're asked questions, it helps us kind of just figure out what's going on in our heads and in our hearts. And it gets us to think about where we find ourselves today, right? At that moment. So the Lord meets her there, asks her, where are you going? What are you doing? And then the angel says the unthinkable. He says, you know what? Go back and submit to her. Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. But he leaves her with a promise. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. That's uh, Genesis 16, 10. Uh, Genesis 11 says, the Lord has heard your misery. And the angel said, and the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. There's lots of important things to take place in this short encounter. Number one is that God sees Hagar. And importantly, just as important, Hagar sees God. She knows who this is. She knows what's happening right now in her life. It's the Lord. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, I have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Beer Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar gets this. She understands this. She knows what's happening. You are the God that sees me. A couple of days ago, months ago, weeks ago, I was just a possession. I was just a piece of property. 
Nobody saw me. Nobody cared. I was beaten. I was left to for dead in the desert. But today you are the God that sees me. And now not only do you see me, but I realize who you are. I know I see you. You are God. What a moment and what a breakthrough. The angel of the Lord finds Hagar, sought out Hagar. And I wanted to just remind us, church, that Father God sees you. He sees me. He pursues me and he pursues you. He finds us. Well of the Lord that sees me. In our toughest times, in our most empty times, in our most disobedient times, when we find ourselves running away, when we find ourselves running in a desert, when we've been abused and broken and mistreated, God meets you. God meets us. God sees us. God noticed Hagar's affliction when no one else did. Hagar is actually the first person in scripture to give God a name. That name is El Roy. El Roy, the God who sees me. She names her son Ishmael, which means God who hears. So there is a whole lot of breakthrough that took place in this one encounter. So Hagar's story resumes 14 years later when Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. So the Lord does come through with the promise and gives Abraham and Sarah a son. His name is Isaac. But after Isaac was weaned, Sarah saw Ishmael taunting him and took matters into uh, to Abraham. It says, get rid of this slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And although he grieved Abraham to do so, he gave Hagar and Ishmael some provisions and sent them away. And Ishmael and his mother wandered in the desert. So even after all of this happened, uh, Hagar does come back to the family, does come back to Abraham and Sarai, but then they find themselves in the same place again where there's some drama, there's some beef, there's some issues there, and they're left out again in the wilderness. Uh, Genesis 21, 15 says, When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away. I don't want to watch this boy die. As she burst into tears, but God, but God heard the boy crying, And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful skillful archer. And he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. So once again, Hagar finds herself in a desert place in the middle of the wilderness. This time with no spring, no well, or anything of that nature. Her son is on on the brink of dying. She, She has nothing, no food, no provisions, nothing. But then again, but God comes through. God comes through. God hears her cries and makes a way again for Hagar. So if we can, can we stand, church?
may not find ourselves wrestling with the same things that Sarai's wrestling with. We may not find ourselves wrestling with the same things Hagar's wrestling with, but I just want to remind you that God is fully aware of you. He's fully aware of your situation. Even though you may be wrestling with feelings of, of insignificance, you might be unseen to those around you. I wanted to remind you that God finds you and he speaks life over you. Wherever we find ourselves, God finds us. He speaks life over us. He provides for us. Even when we feel like we don't have any value, God sees you. Every person in this room is on a journey. Every person in this room is on a journey of saying yes to the Lord and trusting the Lord. A journey of finding our identity, finding our worth. And sometimes it can feel like God loves the whole entire world. And we sing songs about it and we read scriptures about it and God loves the world. That's why he gave his son. That's why he died on a cross. He loves the world. But does he love me? Does he see me? He's so busy with the world. Does he? It seems like he's just overlooking my situation or my um, circumstance. Hagar's entire identity was defined by others. No value, no worth. But God found her. God pursues her. He reassures her that, she, that he has not forgotten her. He reassures her that God will provide. And maybe you find yourself mad or hurt or upset, frustrated, overlooked. I want to reassure you that those feelings are valid. I want to reassure you that God hears you. God sees those feelings. God sees those hurts. And you might feel the right that you might have the right to feel those emotions. And you also have the right to be free from those emotions as well. You have the right to be free from those feelings. Freedom and peace and restoration that comes from a loving God and a loving creator. A God that sees you, and he sees you this morning. My encouragement today is that you would allow him to restore what has been lost. My prayer this morning is that you will allow him to fill your heart like a deep well. I pray that God, that... That the God that has given you breath would speak life over you. Those of us who have ran away, those of us who are feeling ashamed, those who are hurt, those who may feel literal barrenness, spiritual barrenness this morning, find yourself empty and overlooked. Maybe you find yourself in a desert, but God sees you. And if you feel like that's you this morning, if you could just raise your hand. Just you and the Lord you felt these feelings and you find yourselves in these places. I pray that you would allow the Lord to refresh you. I pray that you would allow God to make you whole again. I pray that, the, that you would know that the Lord sees you. 
So Lord, you see the hands that are raised this morning, God. Lord, and I speak life. Lord, I pray, God, that they would know that they are seen. Lord, I pray, God, that our, your children would know that they are whole, that they are loved. Lord, refresh us this morning. Make us whole, God. Speak life over our lives, God. Lord, I thank you, God, that maybe you did not meet us in a desert today, but you met us here in this, in this morning and in this building, God. Lord, thank you for your reminder. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for seeing us. Lord, we give you this day. We give you this moment. Lord, we lay aside all that we are feeling and all that we've gone through. Abused and overlooked, disobedient and fleeting. Lord, and you find us here today. You speak life and restoration and love, God. Thank you, Lord, for seeing us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for loving us, God. We give you this all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good word. I love that portion of scripture. The amazing thing about it is Hagar could be the most insignificant person in that story because we're thinking of the patriarch and we're thinking of Sarah. We're thinking of and not recognizing that God saw her and was with her and had promises for her. And man, I feel like that often. How many of you are blessed to be here? How many of you are encouraged this morning? Awesome. Um, two things. Please do not forget to RSVP for um, next week. Uh, we love you at restorationla.org. You're all invited. We'd love for you to come and share a meal with us and come and celebrate the uh, goodness of God. Um, so it, it's, yeah, if you can do it sooner rather than later, because we need to know how many people we're feeding. Uh, yeah, do it now, please. And then... Um, Secondly, tonight, um, GLC, uh, if you need any directions, please let me know. Um, you can look up um, Gracious Living Church in Upland, and you can find all of the directions to get to their facility there. It's just going to be great. Uh, Daniel, thanks for being with us, bro. Be blessed. He's there heading home today. And do not forget to give the Hernandezes and the Torres some love for their big day today. We're so thankful for all that God's doing. Go with God. We'll see you soon.